Hey guys, welcome back to Unleashed. We are so glad you are here and remember that we are the resistance. Um, you know, what has been, what has it been like about a week since Thanksgiving or something? And Eric, you and I had talked about our Thanksgiving last time. I just got a question for you. Are you still eating leftovers? Oh yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Like ham, turkey, corn casserole, stuffing. All of it. All. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. We're getting towards the end though. Yeah. Well, you know what I start doing when you get toward the end? Because you're like, you only have a little bit of this, but a lot of that. I just do like that shepherd's pie, man. I just begin to just kind of mix it all together and yeah, it works. There you go. Well, we got a question today. I've got a question. Uh, I don't, do you want to say, do you know who this is from? Because you didn't include it. His name so. is Josh from Indiana. Josh from Indiana Josh wants from Indiana. to know, uh, why do men fall off after being so blessed by God and then they return to the old habits? Yeah, boy, isn't that a, a big question? I think we've all, you know, hit that wall sometimes. You know, I always say it's kind of like, you know, there's those neural pathways that we have that we begin to form, you know, in our life. And a lot of times when, you know, when, when guys find Christ or whatever in their life, those habits have been going on for a long time. And so they can be really fired up and they can see they got the revelation, the aha moment. Um, they want to do life differently. And, but those old neural pathways, it's kind of like credit card debt. You know, it took you a long time to get into that debt. It's going to take you a while to get out of it. Um, and a lot of times the reason that we, we keep going back to those things is because we're getting something out of those old behaviors. You know, I, I made a post like the other day on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, but it basically was, was kind of around this. It's whenever you continue to entertain unhealthy thoughts in your brain, um, it's going to take a while to get that stuff untangled. And it takes a lot of hard work. But man, and we talked about this, I think, on last week's episode, and we were talking about when I don't feel good enough, and we keep entertaining that thought. You know, when a guy doesn't understand where his one true identity in Christ comes from, he begins to not feel good enough. Right. He doesn't feel significant, and he begins to go to things like porn or money or, or hunting. You know, we'll talk some about that today. But uh, yeah, and I, and I think it's it's very true. I think that we return turn to those old habits Um and it takes encouragement. It takes our brothers, you know, to say, hey, man, um, that's not the real you. What's going on? You okay? So, Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, I'm pumped about today's uh, guest. And without further ado, Terry, you're welcome, man. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor, and I'm humbled to be on such a uh, show where you've had big-name people, and I don't feel like I fit <laughs> in very well, but I appreciate you having me. Man, I was watching you today on uh, on two things, on Chasing Giants and on the one, the Sunday Night Prayer video. Did, yeah. Tell first of all, let me, before I kind of get rolling into that stuff, you know, with Real World Wildlife Products, um, you know, you've been the marketing director for how long? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Don asked me to work three months to rebrand the company seven years ago. I was thinking it was like 2015 <laughs> or something. Yeah, so they wanted to rebrand the company when they came out with new nutrition products. And uh, with my marketing background and business consulting side, you know, we've been friends for a long time. So he asked if I would help. We said it would be about a three-month project probably seven, eight years ago. So it's yeah. been a ride ever since. And, um, and we're going to talk very some. Blessed. And we're going to talk about your ride because I know that there's been some recent stuff that um, yeah. yeah, some really cool stuff. And I can't wait to hear about that. I was watching the yeah, video. But real world is actually where we got to know each other. Um, you know, I want to first start off by saying on behalf of all of real world, we took a very different approach with our marketing and outreach and, uh, really tried to make it to where we partnered with true faith based, uh, 
people. And that's actually how we got connected. Yep. You and I, I yep. know you'd met Don several years ago, but we took a little bit of different approach with your ministry and obviously this platform. So it's, it's just, it's humbling to know that uh, there's people like that out there, like you that are using your platform, your connections, and obviously your, your life to minister to others. And it's, it's a humble um, you know, humble to be able to take a business opportunity and say, Hey, we want to go support you with it. That's, that's the cool part for me to do. Uh, it's been, it's been, um, a blessing to be connected with you guys. And I was watching you, I was, I was just kind of scrolling, you know, I'm always, you know, checking in with chasing giants and see what new episodes or what's going on. And there was one where you were speaking for a game dinner and you were talking about Don Higgins. You know, that's who we're talking about when we say Don. And you were like, you said something about, you kind of feel like, I don't want your expectations to be too high tonight. Do you remember that? Uh, not specifically. Yeah. No, I'm it was kind of sure funny. One year was it? You know, it was, yeah. I don't even remember what the episode was and you were speaking for a game dinner because you were saying something about Don, maybe you were expecting. And, and I'm like, no, don't sell yourself short. I mean, <laughs> Don's got you there. Well, the, for funny a thing is, the funny thing is, is my, my role even in the outdoor industry for the last 18 years has always been pretty much behind the scenes, developing plans, you know, business plans, uh, brands and organizational leadership activities. So I've, I've been, that's how I first met Don actually was way back in the day, uh, probably 18, 19 years ago um, through the outdoor industry. So when he approached me about doing the Chasing Giants podcast, that was the first time that really I was in the forefront. And it's still, to be honest with you, very uncomfortable for me. But I just feel like uh, in a lot of ways, God challenges you maybe in ways that you're not real comfortable with, you know, kind of out of your element if he, if, if it's truly going to be a ministry. And when Don committed, just like with Real World, that the Chasing Giants podcast was going to be used as a way to, at the end, win lost deer hunters, uh, I, it's really hard to say no to an opportunity where you feel called that God's going to let you use it as a witness tool. Yeah. You know, I, I first met Don, I'm trying to remember, he had just come out with, I think, it, what was it, Hunting Whitetails in the Real World? And yeah, his first book. Yeah, and I interviewed him. As a matter of fact, I was in my garage. This is really crazy. I was in my garage today changing cat litter, which you have to do when you have hunting equipment in there. You're going to pay a price. Um, but I have a. I had interviewed him, and I had made it into a, a book as well, and I had one of my interviews with him in there. It was called, I don't have it out, so this isn't a marketing thing here. It was Hunting Whitetails, the World's Greatest um, Whitetail Hunter's Secrets Revealed. And then you guys came out with um, Chasing Giants. And guys, if you have not listened to that podcast, you need to. If you want to become like a monster <laughs> uh, deer hunter, I mean, really, just having all the knowledge of everything you'll ever, ever need, you'll get it right there. I mean, it's a one-stop shop, and it's wonderful because there's no price you're paying for it. Um, log on, find that that podcast, and... Yeah, the great the great thing about podcasts and you know you, like your podcast that you have that I try to listen to every episode as soon as they come out everybody kind of has their own feel and and kind of style right um you bring guests on and interview and pick their brain you know using hunting or fishing or whatever is you know the common thread to to minister Don and I are completely opposite we rarely have guests on and you know, the whole premise of it is we have the, if you want to learn about shooting a basketball, you watch Steph Curry, right? Right. So with deer hunting, there's very few individuals that are consistently doing what Don is doing on small acreage tracts of private land that are managed for habitat. 
but also going and doing it on permission properties. And so having the Steph Curry of NBA, you know, for the deer hunting world, you know, that's really the nugget. And, you know, my role in the whole thing is very insignificant. You know, basically I'm just there to keep dialogue going and occasionally push some buttons because we all know Don is a little outspoken <laughs> with his political beliefs. And, you know, when we see an episode getting a little stale, I'll push a button here every once in a while and let him go on one of his fav- famous rants. But, uh, okay, so you when, know, when, just having, just having him, uh, as part of the show, that's really the draw. You're, you're really learning from one of yeah. the guys who learns what is different about a mature buck when they get five years on old, they're just different. And what is he doing year round every single day of the year? He's doing something for deer and uh, just following him through it. That's really what the podcast is about. You know, when I had Don on here a couple months ago, I said, uh, I had asked you, I said, Hey, is there anything that we could kind of like, you know, tease him with? I mean, I know how much he hates expandable broadheads, you know, so that's always going to be a fun thing. But you said, yeah, just say, I hear you love to wear shorts. <laughs> he knew exactly who I would talk have, I don't think that man's legs have seen the light of day in probably 58 years. He, he was probably three years old in an Easter photo outside of, outside of the grandparents' church the last time those legs saw the light of day. So I reached out to Don and I said, hey, I said, um, what can I say about Terry? Terry gave me ammunition and he said, just say how much I really liked um, Terry, the first time we met. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, our history, that's, that's a true testament to how God can use people from different backgrounds for something a whole lot bigger. If you let him, yeah, our, our relationship has not always been the best, but, uh, I tell you what, he's one of my dearest friends now that, uh, I would, I would trust him with anything. And, uh, even though over the years we've had our ups and downs, just such a, such a loyal and devout friend. Yeah. I'm very, very thankful for him. And I think that's the way friendships are. If we really are iron sharpening, ironing, helping each other grow, we're not always going to see eye to eye. And I think having a teachable spirit, you know, in true friendships is so important. Um, what was I, oh, I was watching, uh, I hadn't had a chance to see, um, was it, is it the legacy of babe? Is that the name of it? Yeah, Don's new video just came out Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, um, watch it, guys. About his daughter with breast cancer and uh, and him uh, on this deer. You know, we had high aspirations for Babe uh, that this was going to be just a, a crazy story of another just 200-inch deer. But we've talked about it on the podcast. We really believe that the drought and lack of nutritional value that was out there really hurt the antler growth in mature bucks. Uh, through the summer of 2023 and we just did not see the antler growth and in fact uh, some of the deer that we were we talked about on the podcast actually went down but how quickly the narrative changed of the story of potentially a buck we thought had potential to go 200 uh, to really being a family first setting priority and such a I mean God uses things in ways we just can't even understand. And what, what started as maybe a potential, another 200 inch deer turned into such more of a a tool to use for ministry and outreach and encouragement to the hunting community. So obviously we don't wish anything bad on his daughter, you know, and feel like we're using her, but uh, the story of how Don has kind of navigated this year with the trials and tribulations, uh, to make it really a story about family and uh, faith is, is pretty special. I hope everyone goes out to the 
Chasing Giants with Higgins Outdoors YouTube channel and watches this video. It's 20 minutes. Um, I believe the hunt footage and the story of the deer probably takes up, what, three minutes of yeah, that? Yep. But uh, such a special story for Don and I cried. I'm so I mean, I, I sat there and got all teared up when I was watching it. Yeah, we, we recorded uh, our podcast episode on Saturday night this week, and Don and I talked about it on air. And I did okay um, because I, I pretty much knew the narrative. I'd seen some of the B-roll footage of Andrea, you know, in the hospital. But what really got me choked up is uh, when they were standing behind the SUV going into chemo treatment. Yeah. And she said, I feel pretty good. That's why I don't want to go in. Yeah. And Corey, her husband, man, you talk about an awesome guy, Don's son-in-law. Uh, he just said, I love you. And I mean, I get choked up now thinking about it because, you know, my wife was diagnosed with cancer back um, almost 20 years ago. And those emotions and feelings of helplessness as a man, uh, when your children, your wife, your, you know, a family member is going through that sickness and all you have to turn to is your faith and trust in God. Uh, that that was really emotional for me to sit there and watch it. And I, I haven't been brave enough to watch it with my wife. Uh, we're going to sit and watch it together, but I haven't been brave enough to do that because I know I'll be even more of a basket case because we've gone through the same thing that Corey and Andrea have gone through. And when she got out of the back of the, the uh, SUV or the van, it was, was it was to go in. And I saw, you know, of course, her hair is real short from the chemo and everything. And it yeah. just brought back memories. You know, when, when both my parents had had cancer, they're both gone now. But mm -hmm. when my dad, you know, had it for the first time, we had just, I went all the way back from Indiana to Pennsylvania to meet my dad to go deer hunting. And it was going to be the first day of buck. And the night before, the dad, my dad had to go in the hospital. They had found some blood and stuff in his urine. And so the next morning, by that, they had put him in the hospital. And so he says, you go. You go. I know how much this means to you. I said, you mean more to me than hunting. He said, you go. Well, I changed everything around that day, shot a, a smaller buck than I would have normally taken and I, because I wanted the meat to take home. And I, I mean, I was first thing in the morning. I was back home by like 830 and I took it off. My buddy, he found out about my dad. He goes, you bring that deer to my house. I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and butcher that for you. You go spend time with your dad. And that time in with my dad, I don't know if I've ever really shared this, but when I went to go see my dad, you know, in that moment, you don't know. You don't know what the future mm -hmm. holds. But the memories that my dad and I had from deer hunting were the best memories I had. Just the conversations, everything you do um, when you're out there. And there was an elderly man in the bed next to him. And his son, who was probably in his you know mid to late fifties, um, was was there. And at one point, I saw them kind of draw the curtain. But where I was sitting at the at the foot of the bed, I could kind of see. I wasn't trying to like eavesdrop. I could see it. And this man was was dying. He was it was in his last few days. And his you know fifty some year old son crawled up in the bed beside him and just held his dad. Yeah. You know, it's in those moments you don't think about you know being a tough guy, looking a certain way. I'm going to handle this well. Everything in life comes down. And this is something really interesting. Bill Gaither told me one time, he said, Brent, there's only two times in life that we really, um, it's the most important time in our life. One is at the birth of a new life. And the other one is the passing of a loved one. And I was thinking, you no, know, we're, we're praying for, for Dawn's daughter that she's going to you know, fully recover from this. I don't, I don't know where things are with that. We're praying for her. Uh, my wife and I are. But I do know that they just had a new baby too. So he had the whole plethora of emotions happening at the same yeah. time. 
Yeah. His one daughter had a baby, I think, uh, right, right, right on top of the beginning stages of his oldest daughter, you know, fighting cancer. So both sides of the spectrum with Don and, and Robin right now. But, you know, I think, I think everyone is in just a, such a good place trusting and, and, you know, for the, for the listeners of your show or chasing giants, we're on the opposite end of, of this and can see the, the, anxiety or the fear i'm not saying it doesn't go away but knowing that so many people are praying and knowing so many people care and so many people are sending messages that rallying of the believers of this body if nothing else comes from a deer hunting podcast and that is to unite people together when they need it how how much of a blessing is that to be part of it i mean that's just so huge and um you know, not only do we appreciate what you do with this platform, but we want the Chasing Giants you know, community to also be um, really self-centered you know, centered around uh, that support network as almost a family of just a bunch of deer hunters coming together to do something good, you know. And I, I don't want to call it a challenge, but maybe an invitation to those guys out there that have your hunting buddies that you see during hunting season and that's about it. Or maybe you message back and forth about, you know, pictures you got. Um, I just want to invite you guys to go a little bit deeper with each other because there's that bond. You, you guys have the same yeah. passions and you're, and if you have that love for God um, and just show up because any, any day can change on, on the, I mean, just instantly can change. Well, you know, I mean, my, my life, especially in the last five years is just a testament to that exact thing. And, you know, I don't even know if you know the whole story about this, but very early in the stages of, of Chasing Giants, we only had probably 6,000 listeners a week. We weren't near as big as what we are now. And there was this situation that my daughter came home from college. The Georgetown College softball team was trying to do this fundraiser for a family in the peak of COVID. Uh, you know, I mean, everything shut down. There was this family from Elizabethtown, Kentucky, that had two little girls that had leukemia at the same time. I mean, I can't imagine one child being sick, but two little girls at the same time with a newborn. Mm. So they were having to rent a house in Cincinnati to get treatment at Cincinnati Children's. And, you know, my heart was just broken for this family. You know, and these college softball players at Georgetown were trying to figure out a way to raise enough money to pay the rent on the house. And I, I just, it was one of those things, Hey, we're going to mention this on the podcast, if nothing else for, to ask for prayer. Right. Well, all of a sudden this outpouring of our listeners started contacting us and said, how can we help? And we were like, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> we just, we wanted, so I went to my, my church, uh, eldership and said, Hey, we got this nine one one situation. Is there any way that if someone wants to give to this family, we can set up a benevolence fund at the church and people can donate to the church and then the church can, you know, uh, take care of the family. And they were a hundred percent on board within a matter of like, I think three and a half weeks, we paid for their house payment back home, their farm payment and the rental house for the rest of the year. And oh. this was in February with this outpouring of people from the community. And that's really the beginning stages, the initial thing that Don and I prayed about and said, you know, God, use this for something bigger. And that's the origin of the Lester's Foundation, which was named after my grandfather. 
to where we help families with sick kids while they're having to take a leave of absence or lose their job to focus on that family. Say the name of so that again. Just, there was a glitch in your vocal there. The Lester, say it again. Lester's feet. So the, the short story is my grandfather, Lester Schickel, was the first person to ever take me hunting. And he was my childhood hero. And he was just, he was a true servant leader. He actually didn't become a Christian until late in life. But uh, he wore size 15 shoes Whoa. and he was, you know, he was a, a war veteran in World War II. He was a major league baseball pitcher. He was a cop. You know, he was a farmer. So as a little kid, the only thing he didn't check off was an astronaut as your childhood hero. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I grew up always wanting to find a way to follow the footsteps of my grandfather so we felt that when we named this foundation to assist families, all just part of a, a, a conversation we had on a hunting podcast, uh, I just felt led to call it Lester's Feet, just in honor of my grandfather. Um, but it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we could talk for two hours just about how God used the podcast to help as many families as we are, but we roll over, you know, it's a 100% volunteer organization, no administrative costs come out. We pay uh, bills directly on behalf of families, so we don't hand families cash. You know, that's how we're fiscally responsible to the donors. But we'll run over a million dollars a year through that foundation uh, just helping families who are unable to work or there's a loss of income as it relates to the care of a child that's either getting treatment or recovering from an illness. I'll, I'll, never, um, forget, but, I'll never forget when you and I had our first conversation about possible sponsorship yeah. when I was yeah. going to be doing some stuff, try to, you know, try to promote, you know, real world and the stuff you were doing. You said, you know what, <laughs> that's secondary to us. You said yeah. Lester's feet's really important. We want to see people be helped that are really on that 911, as you called it. And that was yeah. your main concern was just really making sure that we were going to be helping people. Yep. Love that. So it's just a huge blessing. You know, um, Matt McPherson, who has been, you know, he's the, yep. you know him Matthews. probably better from the music industry than, than we do from the hunting industry. But you know, he told Don a long time ago, too much, too much is given, much is required. And obviously we don't have a whole lot. We just have a, a little hunting podcast that, you know, is usually in the, only in the top 20 in the outdoor uh, category on iTunes. But, you know, God gives us such a, an opportunity to kind of rally people around each other and uh, be there when we need it. And it's, it's humbling to know that that many people, um, you know, kind of have our back and, and not only want to follow the podcast and learn about deer hunting, we hope people learn and, and get something out of it. But the fact that people will, um, you know, they, they trust us enough to say, okay, we want to help someplace, but we know that some of these nonprofits are just not managed the way that we're not sure where our dollars go to. And they, they trust the board of directors that's behind this where there's assurance that not only does every dollar that comes in go back out to a family, but that also, we vet the situations out properly and then pay those bills directly. So the money's not, um, you know, used somewhere where it shouldn't. So, uh, that whole ordeal from the beginning has been just an eye opening about truly what being a servant is. Um, I've been spending a lot of time just really thinking about, you know, Matthew chapter 20 verse 26, where, you know, it really talks about those who want to be great have to be a servant. And, uh, you know, I really like the ESV version because that verse 27 really hits home because us competitive guys, you know, it's not about being good. It's about being first. Sometimes, you know, mm -hmm, we're so yeah. competitive. I think the word first 
is such a cool word to use in that translation is that, you know, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And, you know, really giving of yourself to be blessed, like Matt McPherson told Don, you know, when with whatever you have, uh, the best way to be blessed is be a blessing to someone else. And, and my life has just taken so many turns since truly living that. Um, you know, I was raised in the church. My dad's a minister and, you know, I never had one of those stories of, you know, having a rough childhood or coming from a bad home. I was, I was raised in church and have been very fortunate to be around a Christian home, meet a Christian wife, have very good kids. But, you know, your life really takes a turn when you just simply just turn it over to him. And in the last probably seven, eight years, man, have we just been so blessed um, with, with our personal lives, but, but also the reward of being able to serve others. It's, it's just taken on a whole new uh, level of happiness for our family. You know, when I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, being a servant, you know, the one thing, and I can admit it now, I don't know that I saw it, you know, I don't know how long, 10, 15, five years ago, I don't know. But I think you were mentioning about young guys and that kind of a thing, the, the competition and competitiveness. You know, there's that side of us, even when you've seen it at game dinners, guys showing pictures of their deer, guys are bringing in the mm-hmm. racks, who's got the biggest, they're going to get the prize for all this. And guys, <coughs> excuse me, we begin to try to one-up each other. You know, I, yeah, I, mean, I had a deer like that one time, I passed on that. You know, it's like, it's like really? <laughs> You're going to try to play that game with me now to say, yeah, that's below me or whatever. Whatever that thing is that we want to try to one-up somebody, it, it, it comes back, I think as I've gotten older, and I'm th- really thankful for this because sometimes you can be embarrassed that maybe at one of those times in, in, well, in my life that I was that guy. I don't want to be that guy anymore. And God has been cleaning me of that stuff because that competitive spirit, you finally get to the place where you don't need to talk about yourself anymore. You can celebrate somebody else's you know, victories. You can walk with them in their pain without having to go, without having to go autobiographical and tell them your story to try to relate. You can actually exactly. show, yeah. And that's one of the things when I heard you talking about this whole thing with Lester's feet and the, you know, the, the whole thing in Cincinnati and the family and how you've been doing everything, that real, I told my wife this right off the bat. I said, I, I never had a conversation with Terry until that conversation. I said, it blew me away. I mean, just, I don't care whether you promote the company. We, you work, we, yeah, that's great. But we <laughs> just really want to see you, you know, come alongside and maybe tell people about this and how they can help others who really are in need. So, so I want to I want to move into since we're kind of in this genre. I mean, I wasn't planning on starting yeah. this way, but I trust God's leading. You just had a major change in your life after twenty eight years. Twenty eight years in the corporate world. Um, yeah, we made a, a big pivot um, with my family, and um, wow, what a, what a roller coaster the last year has been. That's uh, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, I've never cried, laughed, and confided in telling my wife feelings <laughs> in all of my <laughs> life. You know, men are just so stubborn when it comes to emotions yeah. that over the last over the last four months, I I feel like I'm uh, I'm a whoop pup. I'll, I'll be I'll be the first to admit. Welcome it. to the club. <laughs> The, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, to, to put the, give some context to the listeners who haven't listened to Chasing Giants, um, you know, I've felt a lot of anxiety um, about things at home, and I'm so blessed to have such a wonderful wife. 
Um, but my wife is the oldest of four kids and her parents went through, um, a little bit of a, a tough time with a divorce, uh, after my wife and I had gotten married, but it was right as the youngest child had left to go out to college. And, uh, my wife was at the age, you know, we were already established, had our careers, but she was kind of in the middle of a lot of it being the oldest. And as my kids got older, I never realized kind of the toll that I, I think that that experience took on my wife. And I think that looking back in my early years, I was a pretty good dad. Um, I was able to always navigate to be in my kids' lives. You know, I coached fast pitch softball for 21 years, you know, um, was always engaged in at my kids event. I wasn't an MIA dad, but when I wasn't with my kids, I wasn't a very good husband, meaning I was focused on my career then, or, you know, back then I was justifying it as I'm, I'm providing for my family with income so they can, you know, men are about providing and protecting. Right. So I would hide behind that. And I, I really think that, you know, through the different seasons of my marriage, I, I didn't do a very good job in making sure I recognized what the needs of my wife was. And I just felt this burden um, probably about a year ago where, you know, my my youngest is a junior in high school. My middle child is uh, a senior in high school. And my oldest is actually engaged. She's uh, getting married in June that my wife had devoted so much of her life, even though she has a very, you know, successful professional career as an accountant, she uh, devoted so much to those kids. And I think she was really worried about being lost once she went off to college, similar to what happened with her parents. And this weight of you know, I'm pushing for my career. I've worked for 28 years to be in a position in executive management at a large corporation. What's going to happen at the time my youngest kid leaves off to go to college and me being on the road 80% of the time traveling internationally, you know, the stress and mm-hmm. all of that stuff combined when I am home, I'm not really home. Mm-hmm. It was just weighing on me. And it's like, how can I go to my employer and say, hey, I need to back off to take care of my house? You know, I I have to protect my home turf here, but yet not give up everything I've worked for. And I really just didn't know where that was going to end up. You could just feel the burden and the weight of that. And um, how long did you feel that, Terry? How long was that like that process that you started started really hitting me uh, about the beginning of the year in 23? Because that's when my wife was started navigating her career and she started. I don't listen very well. Good grief. I'm a man. (laughs) You know, it's like somebody could hit you upside the head and you still not understand it. But she started making some comments about how she wanted to do a career change. She wasn't happy because she needed something to keep her mind off the kids being gone. You know, as my youngest daughter and middle son were, you know, closing out their, their time in high school. So I started picking up on that, you know, um, pretty much about a year ago. And she ended up making a career change and found this um, opportunity to go work for a faith-based company that is just one of the, it's a small business, uh, about 50 people, but just super, the greatest ownership team you could ever imagine that is just a very solid Christian family. And I could see that that was just such a relief to her, but it's like, wait a second, what am I doing to help this as a husband? I'm so worried about 
providing and protecting for my family. She's always been supporting of me as I've, you know, chased this pursuit of mature whitetails and working a little bit in the outdoor industry while I'm having a full-time job in corporate America. What am I doing about it? And it's just that anxiety is every man feels it in a different way. I yep. believe a hundred percent. It's just that weight on your shoulders is what, what do I need to do? But heaven forbid we ever talk about emotions. You know, we can't, we can't bring <laughs> ourselves to do that. At least I can't, maybe others can. Uh, but I tell you, there was, there was this situation in, uh, in July of this year where, um, I don't have a lot, you know, like I said, my dad was a minister. We didn't have money growing up. You know, we've never been very frivolous with, you know, material things. When I grew up, you, you lived off your integrity and your honor. That's what you had to your name. That meant something to my family. And that was questioned in a corporate environment. And it really just, I mean, it hit me the wrong way. And it's like, I've worked 28 years with this company. I'm only 47 years old and I've been there 28 years. And now I'm going to be questioned about my character. You can call me an idiot from Kentucky all you want and that I made bad decisions. But, you know, to, to question me on that when, I, when I've tried so hard to, you know, live as a true servant leader, both personally and professionally, I just literally tried to take the bull by the horns and said, how can I kind of steer my life to retire early? And it's how can I look for ways in the outdoor industry, leverage chasing giants, our land consulting businesses to, to basically say, you know, here in another year, I got enough revenue coming in other places that I can walk away from corporate America. And I'm so glad God just put a pause on things and let me calm down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Cause I think sometimes as men, we kind of go off the rails a little bit too fast with emotional decisions, but boy, did God have a big turn for me. So as I was navigating, you know, the, the second YouTube channel and we were repositioning the podcast and setting up for another consulting season with another business venture that Don and Higgins and I have somebody that listens to the podcast said, Hey, you all have this platform. What about doing a simple prayer time for the community every week? And I thought, man, I actually felt ashamed a little bit. It's here I've made this about me and trying to take care of my, what I thought was my problem when God's sitting there giving you a platform that you could do so much more with other than worry about yourself. And uh, the idea of Sunday night prayer time came about and we went out and asked some of the very respected Christians that are in the industry, if they'd be willing to do it. And all of them are on board. So every week there's another contributor from the outdoor industry um, that gets on there and just gives a few thoughts and prays for them. So that kind of took off and I'm like, Oh, well, this is really cool. And then God just completely blindsided me when that same company that hired my wife as the accounting controller approached me about coming and running that whole organization uh, this year. And, um, you know, it's a, it's an equipment dealership that sells everything from zero turns to tractors to big construction equipment and industrial supplies. But I won't bore you with the details except for one thing. 
And that is through that process of saying, am I doing the right thing for my family? When I met with the founder, we had lunch at, uh, at uh, an Applebee's type restaurant. And before we could even order our drinks, he puts his menu down and he looks at me and he says, I want to make one thing clear with what my expectations of it are. And I'm like, oh boy, you know, here he is going to tell me I want a certain return on my investment or I want you to do this, this. Right. The first things out of his mouth was my expectation for you is you are going to minister to our employees and to our community through this job. The business takes care of itself. And I thought, well, this is where I need to be. Yep. So yeah, after 28 years leaving the corporate world and running a 50-person company, it's been it's been a whirlwind uh, through what normally is a time I'm hunting a lot. So there hasn't been a lot of hunting. Yeah, I was. There's. I got two questions, and the one we can say one was, you know, how's your season been so far? But I think I I probably know <laughs> from everything that's happening. Um, and the other one was, you know. So to, to have been somewhere 28 years mm-hmm. and, you know, that whole thing, I, we all understand when someone questions our integrity, it, it feels like we're being disrespected. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, for men, that's most men's like one of their probably top two or three needs. Right. You know, there's, right. there's the lack of purpose. I think I talked about that in, in my last book, but that need for respect, <coughs> excuse me, or lack of respect or disrespect is number two. And at that point, you're kind of like, is it worth pouring myself into something where you don't feel, um, what's the word, significant, valued, right. um, questioned. And God has that way. And, he, it, you know, it's hard because he doesn't do it quick sometimes. Because sometimes he'll just drop it in your lap, and sometimes you're going, God, are you seeing what's going on here? You know where my heart is. You know where I want to be. You know what my passion is. But God has something else always going on. It says, hey, I know I've got to... I'm going to be working these things out for the, for, for the betterment of everything that you're going to be doing because these things need to happen before I, I open that door for you. And it's that staying patient. So my question with that would be, when you think back over those 28 years, and to be able to get to that point where with that quick, I mean, turning something around, stepping totally away from it, what are some trust builders that you saw increase your faith during that time that you could go, you know what, God, I trust you. I know you got this. Number one was swallowing my pride and actually having that hard conversation with my wife. Um, <laughs> well, I could go down a rabbit hole with this, but to try to make it short, growing up as a preacher's kid, for those of you people who are listening that might be a PK, it's it's such a blessing and it's 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 such a hindrance to your personal faith because at the dinner table every day, your dad's talking about his job not where you go to become better spiritually. <laughs> you know, you, the church becomes your, your family's place of employment when you're a preacher's kid. And it, it's really hard and it's taken a lot of years for me to accept the fact that I need to treat church as not my dad's employer. Um, so I was very cognizant of that. So I never talked about work at home. My wife knew where I worked. She knew what I did, but when I got home, there was no discussion about work. And I think the healthy thing that happened through this is I really got to sit down and open up to my wife. And I think the trust that it built between us, um, not only was I willing to put that career aside to where 
this opportunity allowed me to work alongside my wife, but not travel and show my commitment to our marriage. Mm. Um, I think that was very healthy for both of us, but also gave me some reassurance that this isn't a selfish move. This is a move for my family. Um, the second thing is, is that I've, I've been blessed with very good mentors uh, through my, through my life and especially in my professional career. And, um, even though I had that bad situation where that guy questioned my integrity and my honor, there was still a core of people there that truly cared about me and my family. And I don't want to make this out to be a martyr situation because it's really not the, the new job that I took. It was a raise. It was a promotion. It was, it checked all the boxes. I mean, very rarely do you get to promote uh, your career without sacrificing your family. Most of the time you're giving up something at home to take a new opportunity. Um, in this case, it didn't. And those people at work that truly had the, the value of my, the, our relationship in the forefront versus the, you know, the obligation of being a, an employee there, uh, they supported me a hundred percent. But I think at the end of the day, um, the whole exercise really gave me a new value that communicating with my wife and us being on the same page was probably the most valuable thing in it. Whether I stay here, you know, two years, five years, or even retire at this company, um, our marriage is stronger today than what it was three months ago when I started considering this move. And I think that's the biggest blessing out of all of it. I think one of the things that I'm taking away from you, which is hitting me right between the eyes, to be honest with you, is when you think about your marriage and your family and those, those um, pinnings or pingings, I'm trying to think what the word is, that you begin to feel, do I need to be looking at doing something different? I think one of the things that God has, every now and then he'll bring me back to it and he'll say, are you willing to do something different if, if your family needs it? Or if I call you to do something different, are you so set in your ways you know, what are you willing to do? And I think for me, God is bringing me back to that place too. Brent, do you have a willing spirit? Um, your, your marriage has to come before everything yeah. else because that's your, that's your integrity. That's your legs. And I, I just, man, I appreciate you being willing to, to be willing to, to do something different, to love, you know, well, your wife and your family. And yeah, I, I hope we're going to talk about deer hunting hopefully a little bit, but before we transition to that, you know, there's, there's, there's a big thing that I really focused on, and that is Ephesians chapter four. And, you know, I, I sit back and look at great halftime speeches, you know, think about a halftime speech, a coach walks into a locker room since, since I was a coach for so many years, you go in, you assess the first half of that game, right? Yep. Here's where we're at. This is what we're going to do. And Ephesians chapter four, verse one is like the ultimate halftime speech. If, if people will really look at it a certain way, you know, the first three chapters of Ephesians are setting up this beautiful description of the grace that we have through Jesus and the salvation that we have through him. Right. It's just this, this beautiful depiction of if, if, if we follow Christ and we do the right things, eternity, not just what uh, humans don't understand eternity. But eternity at the feet of Jesus is what's there for us. And we can be assured in that salvation. But Paul, as he's sitting in a jail cell, in a Roman jail cell, 
he starts off verse chapter four, verse one stating, and I'm going to mess this up, but off the top of my head, it says, uh, um, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you. And, and what I started really taking about that is Paul never said, I'm in prison by the Roman Empire, so I can't help. Or, But since I'm here and you're there, this is what you should do, bark orders. The ultimate halftime speech to assess the situation in your life, in your career, in your hunting season, is the first three chapters are, here's where we're at. Where are you at in your life? Where are you at with what you're doing? Where are you at with your career? Now, what are you going to do with it? If Paul was ever going to make an excuse about what he could and couldn't do, it would have been chapter 4, verse 1. But instead, he, he doesn't even admit he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He, he's a prisoner of the Lord and says, this is what we're going to do together to continue the mission of, uh, of spreading the word of Christ. And I started really looking at that, and it's like, okay, I have this platform that because of Don with this following, I have the foundation that's helping hundreds of families. God has put me in a position that so many people don't have the opportunity of being. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to stay in corrupt corporate America, or am I going to go to a, a, a company to work alongside my wife to focus on my marriage? It's what are you going to do with it? It's the ultimate halftime speech. And the second half so far since I started my new job on October 15th, it's been an absolute whirlwind. I'm drinking by a fire hose trying to learn a new business. But (laughs) I I tell you what, um, looking at uh, the last wild game dinner that I spoke at, I spoke on Ephesians chapter four. And it's like everybody's at a point in their life where you can look and relate if he, the book of Ephesians to your life and say, this is where we're at. This is, this is the picture painted. You have the opportunity to use whatever's in your life. Now, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to make an excuse and say, well, the neighbors shot that deer. If, the, if I don't shoot it, the neighbors will. Or I can't, I can't, uh, I can't um, raise bucks like that on my property. Are you going to make an excuse? Or are you going to do like Paul did and, and really just set it up and say, hey, Let's focus on the priority here and what we're going to do and go out there and do it. Yep. And and uh, Ephesians chapter 4 has been just a huge part of my life for about the last five months. You know, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about Ephesians 5. It came to my mind, and I didn't have my Bible with me, so I grabbed my phone real quick. And this is actually out of the paraphrase, the MSG, uh, the Eugene Peterson. But it starts off in, in um, Ephesians 5. It says, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does <laughs> is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. Now, here's what I wanted to get to. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love, and here it is, in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then he says, love like that. And I keep coming back to Lester's feet and what you guys are doing with that. When we keep company with, with, with God and what Christ did for us and what he's done in us and through us, when we keep company like that, it begins to transform us from the inside out. It's that whole new identity. We realize I don't have to one-up somebody. I don't have to make the big money or have the big title. If God calls me to go do something, how awesome is it he's called me to go love like that? And I just want to say again, man, what you guys are doing with Lester's Feet and what you're doing with the podcast and everything you guys are doing. I just, I'm so grateful to see guys like you out there 
in the industry. So let's left turn, Clyde. And what we usually do in the podcast, this is different because usually we go from um, the, the wilds. <laughs> I, I was saying to the wilds and then we, you know, we go into a story at the end, right? Yeah. So we're kind of doing it backwards. So now the guys have gotten this far. For you guys that have survived so far, I should say survived, the first couple of, of deer, you know, months right now, and you're like, man, I didn't fill my freezer. We're coming into late season now. You know, you've got the, the, the less known about, less talked about second rut, you know, colder temperatures, not as much food. And that's what I wanted to kind of just pick your brain because this is where you guys really shine with stuff. Talk to yeah. some of these guys that are going to be out there, you know, what you would be doing, what you've been doing all year to prepare for this time. Well, obviously, you know, diversification of your food sources is the key. And for those people who manage properties and put nutrition programs out or can feed, that's going to be the pivotal thing uh, as we approach late season. Now, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy and different opinions based on the second rut versus a first rut. And, and you know, I think I have a little bit different opinion of it. It's, it's as um, the likelihood uh, research shows us that even does with uh, twins that are pregnant with twins, a very high percentage of those twins have a different father. So most most deer hunters don't understand that. So a doe that's pregnant with twins, a very high percentage of those twins will have a different father. That's how much the those does are being bred during the rut. Okay, so that puts a little bit into perspective. So I think what happens is, as we come out, what's called the secondary rut, these bucks are still at this fever pitch and they're covering so much more ground during daylight hours trying to find the next doe that's not been bred yet. So that's why they always say that Thanksgiving weekend is such a great time to kill a giant because they're coming out of lockdown and they're going into uh, what people kind of call the second rut and it's just the bucks are spending so much more time that the next doe is harder to find if you will okay now what i do think that there hasn't been a lot of people talk about in the outdoor industry is research shows us that um, fawns when they reach a certain weight god's creation is just so extraordinary when they reach a certain weight they become uh, they go into cycle for the first time and can be bred. So a lot of times what people think is, okay, every 30 days those does come into cycle. Well, I think a lot of times when we see does being chased in December, January, even February, it's those first year fawns, the does are getting at enough weight to where they become in heat, Okay. Now, I think that the drought across the U.S., especially the Midwest, had the nutrition so pulled back because of lack of crops. Now, luckily, we did have a huge acorn crop for most of the Midwest. I think that we're going to see a little bit more rutting activity possibly later in the year because those first-year fawns, you know, those does, did not, were not able to build up as much weight through the summer and mm -hmm. fall is what they would normally do. So I think it's all going to be about food and the right place at the right time. Um, you know, we get more a lot into the science side of it, and I don't want to bog down this podcast with that. They can go over to the Chasing Giants if they want to hear this. But I think there's still an opportunity. We had that weekend before Thanksgiving where we had rising pressure and lower temperatures, and there was a ton of big deer killed. Uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving, 
Um, so I think that the opportunity with cold weather coming in, the colder it gets and the more diverse food you have, the, the better chances you have. Um, if not, you're going to be in that luck of the draw. Are you in the right place when uh, those Dauphins get heavy enough, weight meaning heavy, that they come into cycle and you have bucks out chasing them around? Otherwise, it's going to be about food in late season. Yep. You know, Doctor. You know, Doctor Dave Samuel. Do you know that name? I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was. It was so neat. I had. I haven't seen him in years. I got to be there when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He and Chuck Adams that night, and mm-hmm. we were talking about this, and he was saying something too with, with um, the acorn crop being so vital because weight has so much to do with healthy does. Protein and fat. Yep. Protein yep. and fat. Well, you know uh, what? We're yeah, uh, the, the late season the late season's gonna be pivotal for um a lot of hunters that aren't, but the big thing is if you can find food, set up on food, uh your evening hunts are gonna the colder it gets, the better the hunting's gonna get. And I saw you had the perfect wind the whole month of was it September or whatever it was at your place? It was an east wind. What was that now? <laughs> I was watching one of the podcasts with you, and you were talking about you not, hadn't been able to hunt in quite a while because all you were getting was an east wind on your yeah, property. Yeah, we had a lot of east winds this year. Yeah. I don't know what it is, and I'm yeah. not set up at that farm for many east wind hunting locations. You know, I think this year um, there was – I have two seven-year-olds that need to be shot. I just haven't had time to hunt them, but they're not big enough. I need another 150 deer on the on my wall like a hole in the head. Yeah. So I'm not I'm – not, if, if if I would have had a giant giant to chase this year while doing this job change, <laughs> I might have had a little bit more aggravation and anxiety. Well, about maybe it worked out the way it did for a reason. Maybe it did. Yeah. But, but we still have a couple deer in Illinois that I'm really wanting to try to hunt more. Uh, I did go up for about a five-day, uh, no, seven-day, six-day, excuse me, six-day straight. And I saw 12 bucks between 135 and 145. So I don't have one lick to complain about. It's just everybody in the hunting woods is on their own journey with what their goals are. And, um, you know, if it's part of a management plan that we need to take out an older buck, that's 130, 140 inch deer, I'm a hundred percent for it. But to just randomly go to a permission property out of state, I'm I'm just not there in my in my journey personally yet. Don't have a problem with what anybody else does, but now you um, you just, talked about the industry a little bit ago. I was going to ask uh-huh. you a question. Do you are you doing the ATA show this year? Will you be there? Um, if I go, it will be to network and meet with some of the people like you that we sponsor. Um, but I, I I'm from the real world. Um, but chasing giants or real world will not have a booth at. I don't. ATA. I was going to say I didn't see him last year at Indianapolis. No. Yeah. Because no, usually I try to get lunch been together. For probably three years. Yeah, I was going to say last time um, we had lunch was probably three years ago. But I'll be honest with you. Um, as real world's brand uh, continues to grow in the outdoor industry, uh, we have a very limited number of people that we partner with for marketing collateral. But the rest of our marketing dollars are going to basically outreach ministries like yours. Um, we're going to be, there's a, um, a gentleman that we've gotten to know that's done some collateral for us in the recent years. But he's recently been led to quit his job, go back to seminary and go to the mission field. 
So we're not even going to disclose it, but I'll just tell people, you know, part of what we would normally 10 years ago pay a pro staff to do social media posts, we're going to be giving that to a guy monthly to help his family pay bills while he's in the seminary getting ready to go to mission field. That's awesome. That's why we're spending our marketing dollars. And I tell you what, I can't, I can't from a business standpoint, put an ROI against (laughs) that, that investment. But I think our business and um, um, everything is being blessed so much more by by putting our dollars into true ministry opportunities than just another, you know, guys wanting to, you know, have a YouTube channel. And guys, if you're listening to this today, I hope what you're really hearing is is this, that you cannot give God when God calls you to do something you know, listen, he's got those breadcrumbs he's putting down in front of you. There's a purpose behind it. And there's nothing more satisfying when we see God at work and we know he's put those breadcrumbs down because we know his voice. He's done it just for us. How how incredible is that to think that the God that made everything there is, even down to the minute, minute details, knows exactly um, how you're wired. He made you. And he's got a plan for your life. You're hearing Terry talk about it today to to step away from a a corporate job and follow the leading that he was feeling from God. Man, I needed to hear that message today because I'm in that place. God, I want to trust you. I want to know that when you're moving me, that I want to have a willing spirit that says, I've seen you do it before and I know I'm going to see you do it again. And I'm going to give you the glory when you do it because there's nothing more important than my relationship with you and with my family. Terry, man, thank you uh, for being with us today. And um, for you listeners that are a part of Unleash Plus, we're going to carry on this conversation for a few more minutes. But thanks again for joining us. And remember, guys, we are the resistance. We'll see you next time.